end. So if you have a Bible, then you want to open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be looking at uh, 1 Samuel 17. We are in the series on the life of David. If you joined us last week, we looked at the anointing of David. And this week, we are looking at possibly the most famous, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. You don't have to be a Christian to know the story. Um, You don't have to have gone to Sunday school or church or anything. The story of David and Goliath. I mean, can you remember the first time you heard the story of David and Goliath? I can. Uh, I, I grew up getting dragged to Sunday school. I remember we had a felt board. I don't know. Those things seem to have fallen out of favor at Sunday school these days. But we had a felt board, and like, you know, every, there, there was little David and sheep and Goliath. And our, I don't know, our Sunday school was next level. Our Goliath, our Goliath had a head that came off. Because it's a crucial part of the story. I mean, it's a bit macabre. Thinking about it now, I'm like, that's just not right. Like, so in the first part of the story, David had a head. And then, you know, I'm ruining the movie for you now. But later on, like the, it could become realistic. David lost his head. And then David like, was, I think Goliath lost his head, not David. I'm just checking if you remember the story correctly. Then David had like, like on the felt board, was carrying Goliath's head, like super realistic. Like, it, you can, I'm not how old. And I remember... Sunday school teacher with a felt board, David and Goliath. I want to read the whole account of David and Goliath. This is one of the longest narratives you find in the Old Testament. It takes a while to read it, but I want us to read it because I don't want to, I don't want to just jump through. I mean, we know what happens in David and Goliath, don't we? And David kills, kills Goliath. Like, but there's, there's a lot in the story that's worth reading and revisiting, and it's probably been a while since you sat down and read the story of David and Goliath, the account of David and Goliath from beginning to end. It does take a while, but I want us to do that. So I'm going to read it, and I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to just pick up um, some things that I think God is speaking to us specifically about from, uh, from this uh, account. So David and Goliath, <clears throat> First Samuel chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible or a phone or whatever, all the slides are going to be up there. If you do have a Bible or a phone, it would be good to keep it there because we are going to be back in the verses a bit later on. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Sokar in Judah and camped between Sokar and Azekah in Ephesus. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Goth came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. That's 56 kilograms for those of you who don't do conversions in real time. That's like strapping like a regular sized human onto you to go into battle. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam. And the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked him. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, 
we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. And their names were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the second, the next, and Shammah, the third. And David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. Every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day, Jesse told his son David, Take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also take these ten portions of cheese to the field commander. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They were with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Goth, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him, terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The troops told him about the offer, concluding, that is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother Eliab listened as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. Why did you come down here, he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. What have I done now, protested David. It was just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the offer. The people gave the same answers before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. 
If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its first, strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put, on a bronze, he put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his pouch, in his shepherd's bag. Then with the sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David. And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies and the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. When the Philistine started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along the Shareim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from the pursuit of the Philistines, they plundered their camps. David took Goliath's head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put Goliath's weapons in his own tent. When Saul had seen David going out to confront the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of the army, Whose son is this youth, Abner? Your majesty is surely as you live. I don't know, Abner replied. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. When David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? The son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. David answered, Let's pray together. 
Father, again, this morning, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that you are our Father who reveals yourself to us. As we gather together and look at this very familiar account, we pray that you would um, speak to us, that you would open up our eyes to see things that we may not have seen before, or we've seen before, but we need to see them in new ways, because our hearts need them in new ways this morning. We pray that you would teach us by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit here this morning, that you would be our instructor, you would be the revealer of your own heart and your ways and your truth to us. We gather like this um, every week, and we say often the same things, that what we most need is to hear the words of our Father spoken over us and into our hearts. And so we look to you again this morning. This is our heart's deepest longing, that we would hear you and be shaped by you. It still amazes us that you meet with us like this, and you speak and you transform us, you comfort us, you challenge us, you shape us. We're different when we leave here because... You speak, and you give us grace to hear. And so we pray again this morning that you would speak and give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So, briefly at the beginning, what is this story about? I mean, you've, like I said, you're familiar with it. There's different ways that David and Goliath is taught and preached and explained. Um, there's different ways we could go about it. Is, it. is it ultimately a story of courage and bravery? Look at David. Be, be more like David. It's simple. He's sort of like the Bear Grylls of the Old Testament. Go be like him. Like, you know, learn how to use a sling. And just like man up and like go do amazing things for God. Like off you go. Is it about God? slain the giants of your life. I heard a guy who preached a thing on how like this is, and it's from this, like, you know, God is interested in slaying your Goliaths. Uh, and and I, I want to balance this. I don't want to just like poo-poo what everyone else has ever preached about this kind of thing, because I think the rest of the Bible does make a case that God is for us, and He is against our enemies, and He does help us overcome our Goliaths some of our greatest challenges and struggles. I think that's true. I don't think it's universally true that God's main concern is to wipe out every Goliath you have um, and that you leave this place renewed in your vigor to say, well, whatever I'm facing, you know, God's going to take it down for me. Um, I think this is more an account of faith. It's an account of, of faith and, and how you strengthen faith, how God builds faith into you and what you use it for and what your faith is in. That's, I think, what this is mainly about. And that's sort of the angle that we're going to be looking at it from. But there's a few things that I want, to, I want us to see. You can't help but be struck as you read this and as we read that long passage, how David stands out on his own here amidst all of his countrymen who are essentially functional atheists. Do you know what a functional atheist is? It's someone who claims belief in God, but functions as if he doesn't exist. So you function as an atheist. So 
Functional atheism is a disease that affects a lot of believers. You, you say one thing, you ascribe belief in God or knowledge of God or relationship with God, but if one was to look at your life on a daily basis, you live as a functional atheist. Belief in God does not translate into any change of behavior or lived out experience on a day-to-day basis. And David finds himself amongst a nation of functional atheists. Their faith in the God who had delivered them again and again and again and again and again should have informed this new encounter with Goliath and the Philistine army. But it doesn't. It doesn't. They are absolutely terrified of this guy. I mean, within reason. You know, he's depending. And you're, if you do your own research and your Bible, that's a CSB translation that we use here if you were struggling to follow along there. Different Bible translations will have different heights of Goliath, and it's, it is a contested thing. The real fancy biblical scholars say he was somewhere between like seven foot and nine foot, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, once you get over like seven feet, like you're like uh, scary. You know, six and a half, which is still quite imposing. You know, it doesn't matter whether he was seven foot or nine foot, whatever. The oak was like a unit. He could wear armor that weighed 50 kgs and move around. The oak was a giant. It describes him as a giant. We have no good reason to doubt the Bible's description because this account has got such uh, detailed descriptions. That it's got the amount, the weight of his armor, the description of his weapons. It's got details that, that, that David took 10 things of cheese. Where's Olivia? That'll make her heart sing. You know, like, she loves cheese. There's so much detail in here. We shouldn't, I don't want to... I don't want you to ever read the Bible descriptions and say, yeah, there's fancy Bible scholars out there. It obviously doesn't mean that kind of thing. It means something else kind of thing. You can read it and have confidence that it probably is that. So here's this nine-foot guy, comes out 80 times, 80 times. He is talking smack to the whole of the Israelite army, morning and evening for 40 days. This is the pattern that had been happening. Every morning, it says did you miss it? The Israelite army go out singing their war cry. It says shouting their battle cry. We are Israel and no one can be prouder. And if you cannot hear us, we'll shout a little louder. And off they go every morning. They don't, we are Israel and no one can be prouder. And Goliath rocks up and tells them, you know, who are you clowns? Send someone out. And they're all like, we are Israel. Back they go, it says morning and evening. Morning and evening for 40 days, the same thing is happening. And every time David comes up and starts yelling at them and cursing them and belittling their God and humiliating them, they all shrink back in fear. Every single one of them. Even Saul. Remember from last week, Saul, head and shoulders above everyone else, tallest, most impressive guy. There was only one person, the story makes clear, who should have gone against Goliath. It was the guy who had the armor, the biggest guy who had the armor, Saul should have done what David ends up doing. You can't miss that in the story. But here David finds himself amongst his countrymen, functional atheists with no faith in God. And along comes David. Along comes David, this youth. He's still a kid. When you were 20... You could go to the army. So we don't know exactly how old David is. A lot of scholars think he was about 15 at this age. 
but he's under 20. He's a youngster. Everyone recognizes him as a youngster. They remind him throughout the account, look, you're a youngster. This is a bad idea. This guy's been fighting since he was young. Uh, he's now, I don't know how old, but he's going to make mincemeat out of you. David, this is a bad idea. You're a youth. You're a youth. You're a youth. You have no place here. You, don't even, you can't even come and watch what's going on at the army. Go and tend the sheep. David is an outlier in this whole story, but he is the only one who has faith in the God of Israel. There's two things I want you to see, or two categories that I want you to see things in this morning just to help us all remember them. The one is David's concern and David's confidence. David's concern, that's what we're going to look at, and then David's confidence. What is David's concern? Because there's a million things that we can look at in the story, and I'd encourage you in this account, I should call it, that I encourage you to go back and look at it again and again. I think this centers around two things, David's concern and David's confidence. What was David's concern? David's concern is for the honor and the glory of God. If you read this again and again and again, which I would encourage you to do, something stands out. And it's what David is most annoyed with when he hears Goliath ranting. He gets there just in time for the war cry procession kind of thing. He drops his stuff. He makes it to the front line. He's having a chat with his brothers, finding out how they're doing. Next thing, Goliath rocks up and he starts his usual spewing, talking smack to the army kind of thing. And David listens into this. And his objection, you see it throughout the narrative, his objection is that Goliath is defying the armies of the God of Israel. And he is defying and defiling the armies of Israel. His main concern, this is super important, his main concern is not that Israel is under physical threat. His main concern is that this guy is talking smack about the God of Israel and his people. David has a higher concern for the glory of the and, and the honor of the name of God than even for his own physical safety and his nation's safety. That's why he's willing to go and fight this absolute giant. He's not into self-preservation. He is all about protecting the honor and the glory of the name of God. Because that's, that's what he accuses Goliath of. He says, this uncircumcised Philistine. Who the heck do you think you are coming and speaking to God's people like this and coming and ranting like this? God is going to take you out today, basically. That's a summary of what he tells him later on. His main concern is the honor and the glory of God. Listen to it. I'll reread a couple of the verses. We may not be able to follow along here. Verse 26, David speaks to the men standing there. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 43, um, Goliath says to David, Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then it says, Then he cursed David by his gods. Make that connection. He's cursing David by the name of the living God. This is, this is unacceptable to David. This is unacceptable to David. Verse 45, he says, you come in. David said to him, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Later in verse 46, he says, this is going to happen. I'm going to take you down, and then all the world will know that Israel 
has a God. All the world will know that Israel has a God. There was, there was a physical threat to Israel. If you read the history here, um, the Philistine army had been defeated by Israel, but they had made a, a wonderful comeback. And if they lost this battle, it was going to go really badly for them. It was going to go really badly for them. Uh, we don't have any uh, um, understanding that in history that, that Goliath and the Philistines followed through on this. Remember, it was a one man, one man kind of thing. Hey, if we lose, we become your servants, other way around. There's no uh, indication that they followed through on that. The Philistines didn't become the servants of Israel. But if Israel had lost this, where they were and the surrounding armies and uh, opposing forces, this would have been um, a death blow almost uh, for Israel. It was, there was a physical threat. But you see David just almost single-mindedly focused on the fact that this guy is defying God and defiling the land and God's name. And his concern is that the name of God would be known and honored, not just in Israel, but in the nations. What does he say? Then all the world, what's going to happen to you today, Goliath? What's going to happen here? When this is done, all the world will know that Israel as a God. That's why this is going to go down differently, Goliath. Because all the world's going to know that Israel has a God. That's why it's going to go down. That's the reason. That's the point. David had a full confidence in God that God was going to deliver him, not for the safety necessarily just of Israel, but that others would come to a knowledge of God, that Israel has a God. Guys, this has always been God's plan that through the nation of Israel and their descendants, the nations of the world would be blessed and come to the knowledge of God. That's still the action plan for the church. The promise given to Abraham through you and you, your descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. It's not that God will just have a chosen people and they'll be blessed and it'll be lacquer for them. It's that through them, the world will watch and see what happens first to Israel and then to the church and that the nations would be blessed through those mechanisms, through those people. It's not just that the church and Israel would be blessed, it's that the nations would be blessed and know that there is a God. And as you work through this, you have to ask yourselves questions. Is that the overriding banner of your life? The same concern that David had for the honor and the glory of Jesus. That your life, that that would be the title, the banner written over our lives. Here is whoever deeply, chiefly concerned about the honor and the glory of God and willing to do whatever it takes to preserve that. A deep, deep concern for it. I want to I mention one other thing under this quick as a sort of a sidebar and a reminder that God has enemies. This struck me with new force as I read this story. God has enemies. God has always had enemies. You know, yeah, he has enemies. Goliath, Philistines. But I think sometimes we have this thing like, okay, God in the Old Testament had all these enemies. You know, and there's all these battles and stuff. And in the New Testament, then he sent Jesus, and now everyone is God's friend. It, Jesus made it all lacquer. God loves everyone. Everything is sweet. Like God doesn't have any enemies anymore. Jesus dealt with all of that. And that's not true. That's not true. God had and God has 
enemies. And in Revelation, it says that when Jesus comes, he puts his enemies under his feet. So there will still be enemies at the end. God has enemies. I don't know why this is such a, hit me with such a force, because we live in a world where I think if we pressed a lot of people, they'd say, no, God loves everyone. Everything is cool. This is unpopular. This is an unpopular opinion. But it's a biblical opinion. And I think as believers and as a church, we need our eyes wide open and say, hey, if God has enemies, listen here, guys, God's enemies are your enemies. You're either on God's side or against God. Like, that's, that's not me trying to rally the church, say, let's go find some people to fight. Let's go and punch someone. Let's march. I'm not saying we should do all that and flip and nonsense. I'm just alerting you to the fact that there are enemies of the church and enemies of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, as they opposed him, they're going to oppose you. And they're going to oppose you physically, ideologically. There's many ways in which this is going to work its way out. You have enemies if you are on the Lord's side. We used to sing songs like that in, 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 in Sunday school. Who's on the Lord's side? You know? And I'm not saying we should march out like the army of the Lord and blah, 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 and this triumphalistic kind of weird stuff. I'm just saying you need your eyes wide open that we are in a battle and the Lord has enemies. And so do you if you're part of his church. The sobering thing is that you were once an enemy of God. And it's only the Lord's kindness that turned you into his friend. And so you should have the deepest compassion for the enemies of God. They are not our enemies in that sense. They are his enemies because they oppose him. And we need to pray that God would show them the same mercy that he's shown us. Because there's nothing that you did that deserved you being transferred from being an enemy to being a friend of God. Listen to how Paul describes it to the Philippians. He says, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again and again in the New Testament, it makes it clear. Romans 5, verse 8, from there, 8 to 10 onwards, it says, While we were God's enemies, He sent His Son to reconcile us. That's the glory and the majesty of the gospel is that while we were enemies, God sent Jesus to reconcile us. And we're not enemies with him anymore. We've been reconciled. We're friends with God now because of what Jesus has done for us. But that's only for those who've placed faith in him. They remain, they remain enemies. That's what Paul tells the Philippians. There are, there are enemies, people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Just a reminder for us to be eyes wide open on that and prayerful and compassionate to the enemies of God. That's David's concern, David's confidence. David's confidence. He has this uh, interaction with his brother who's jealous and tries to belittle him about asking him, where are those couple of sheep you're supposed to be looking after, buddy? What on earth are you doing here? You just want to come and see the action. You should be back at home. He hears about this deal that Saul is offering a wife and tax-exempt status, and you get a free pass with SARS. A whole bunch of stuff's going down if you're willing to go and fight uh, Goliath. And he's like, I don't, we don't know if this is any motivation for David, but he's like, hey, I'll take this guy down. And word spreads, and he gets dragged before Saul. 
And uh, Saul's like, no, but I don't think you should do this. You're a youth, bad idea. And David's interaction with Saul and his speech to him is stirring stuff. And it sounds, again, like another person who's talking. He's just so different to those who surround him. Let's read it again from verse 34. David answers, Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab its fur and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. This is an important verse, verse 37. David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. When he's standing talking to um, Goliath in verse 45, he says to him, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I will strike you down and remove your head. I think you can use faith and confidence interchangeably as words here. And I want us to look at where on earth David's faith and confidence in God comes from. Well, he explains it, doesn't he? When he's having this interaction with Saul, he explains where his faith came from. And it comes from this. It comes from what God, who he knew God to be, what God had done for him over the years. In obscurity. In obscurity, tending those sheep, God had revealed himself to David. David had come to know God in, in ways that readied him for this day. God had prepared David over the years for that day. David didn't even know it was coming, and God had readied him through his life for that day. He was a good shepherd. When a bear or a lion came and scaled one of the uh, lambs or the sheep, David went after it. He wasn't content to be like, okay, well, you know, little Johnny was my favorite lamb. He's gone. Mark him off the list. He was like, hell no, going after that, fighting bears and lions, clapping them. Like, it just does sound a bit odd. But, I mean, it's there. It's like we have no reason to doubt that. I wouldn't. I'd be like one less sheep, you know. I'd be like, enjoy it, you know, kind of thing. Like, I wouldn't go after it, lions and bears. But he had this confidence. And remember... His explanation to Saul is what? That it was the Lord who delivered me from the lion and the bear. It wasn't, I'm David. I'm David. I know how to deal with these kind of things. I have wrestled lions and bears and sorted them out. He's like, I have killed them. But who did the delivering? The Lord delivered me from the lion and the bear. And the Lord will deliver me. From this uncircumcised Philistine. All of David's confidence and faith is not in his own ability. He's not, you should see me with a sling. <laughs> this is going to be a picnic. I know exactly what I'm doing here. I've been practicing my whole life. Whew, you know, I back myself. Pick me, coach. That's not the vibe David's giving off. He is all about the Lord will deliver me. The Lord has delivered me. The Lord will deliver me. He says it to Saul. He says it straight into the eyes of that giant. He says, the Lord is going to hand you over to me today. There's a little pipsqueak David calling the shots against Goliath. He says, the, the Lord will do it. I'm going to throw a stone at you, but who's doing the delivering? It's the Lord. 
He's done it in the past and he'll do it again. The Lord is the rescuer. That's why he rejects the armor. Because David knew, and this is an important thing, David knew that the Lord rescues in ways that are not man's ways. Saul's first inclination when David's standing in front of him is to what? He says, listen, bud, you're going to get, this guy's going to make mincemeat out of you. You need armor. Hey, try my armor. It's the best armor. Saul's like the only oak with armor. He says, try put this armor on. David's like, I can't even walk with this stuff. I'm not used to it, is what he says. He can't walk. It's too big. It's armor made for the biggest guy in the country. And he put it on a 15-year-old. Of course, it's not going to work. But Saul's thinking in human terms. He's thinking, you need armor, bud, if you're going out against this guy. And David's thinking, the Lord doesn't rescue with swords and spears. When the Lord works, he works in different ways. He rescues according to whatever he wants to do. And in this case, the Lord rescues with a sling and a stone. This is the point for us, that the Lord rescues us guys differently. Your confidence can't be in your own ability and in the Lord to rescue you or to help you or to get you out of something. According to man's ways, God has different ways of working. He has different ways of working and they often look like foolishness to people that are watching. Imagine the rest of the army watching. You know, maybe some of the oaks on the side taking bets. It's like, who, who, who reckons how long he's going to last? I give him like 20 seconds, something like five minutes. And most oaks would be looking on with fear and terror. I wonder what David's brothers were thinking. There goes our little pipsqueak teenage brother. We should be, you know, where the oaks are. What are you doing here? But they are so pipscared. They're not going anywhere near Goliath. The whole nation are watching. All the fighting men are watching this little teenager wander out without a stitch of armor on him, picking up some stones in the brook and marching off to go and talk smack against the giant. God works in different ways. And others who watch how God works in your way, in, in your life, through your faith in God, might think you are mental. They may think you're crazy and they may even tell you that. But I want to encourage you again today that God works in different ways. And His plans to deliver you and to rescue you and to build faith in you are different to the way the world around you works. And God had prepared David for this day. David woke up that morning not knowing this was going to happen. He knew he was going to go visit his brothers. He didn't know he was going to be fighting a giant. He was taking cheese. He was a cheese delivery guy and bread and going to get a report from his brothers to give to his dad. He didn't know. Um, he wasn't all psyched up and ready, done push-ups in the morning. Ah, I think I feel like fighting a giant this morning. Like, you know, I'm psyched, you know, ready. Slapped him in the face. Like, ah, let's go, you know. He didn't have a clue what the day was going to hold. Hey, here's the thing. Hey, you don't know what today, tomorrow holds for you. One of the guys I read, uh, did a lot of reading for this. One of the guys I read said, because you don't know what every day holds. The best practice that you can get into is to get up early, to re-consecrate your life to God, to plead for His mercy and to lean on His grace and strength for whatever that day may bring. Because tomorrow may be your last. Tomorrow may bring a challenge that you never expected. Tomorrow may bring an opportunity that you've been praying for for years and years and years. And God may finally bring it about. That conversation with the person you've been longing to see come to faith in Jesus. Maybe the door opens tomorrow or on Tuesday afternoon. What makes you ready? Every other day. Every other day makes you ready for that day when God starts to act. But you've got to get ready before that day. David didn't suddenly find courage on that day. 
David didn't give himself a little pep talk on that day. It doesn't matter on that day. Years and years and years of faith in God had got David ready for that day. So when it came down to an instant decision, what are you going to do, David? David knew exactly what he was going to do. I'm taking this uncircumcised Philistine clown down, and God is going to be the one who delivers me from him. It was only ever going to go one way because God had prepared David year after year for that day. And I want to say as well that David didn't pray about it. David didn't think oh, the Lord is going to deliver us. Brothers, can we get a prayer meeting? Let's rally the army together and let's pray this Goliath down. I'm not denigrating prayer. David had prayed. David was a man of prayer, a man after God's own heart. His life was fueled in prayer. But somebody needs to sling the stone. Somebody needs to sling a stone. In some of your lives, you need to take action and pray. Stop praying and actually take a step. You have to sling a stone, guys. God, in his wonderful mercy, works together with our prayers and with our action to deliver. To deliver. What are the lions and the bears that lie in your past where God has delivered you? That he wants to remind you of this morning to build faith into you. What are your lions and bears? What has he done? Has God ever been unfaithful to anyone in this room? Yeah, I didn't think so. Because God will never be unfaithful to you. He will never, ever let you down. He is always, always faithful. So whatever challenge you're facing now, whatever challenge comes, he remains faithful. Not always nice, not always easy, but faithful. He has delivered you from lions and bears. And when you face more lions and bears, you have to think back to the faithfulness of the one who has delivered you in the past. Let's close this out. The story is here not only to put courage into us and to point us to a man of great faith, but to point towards someone's life that would be far greater than David's, isn't it? It's to remind you that David's whole life points to the one that we love, Jesus Christ. He is the one who comes to us when we are facing the Goliaths of Satan, sin, and death that we can't defeat and decides to go out in our place to represent all of us and to fight in our place in a way that made no sense to anyone who was watching. Jesus comes to give his life. David risked his life going against Goliath. Jesus gives his life going to the cross. Because it was only through his death and resurrection that life comes to us. And our ultimate Goliath falls. The Goliath of Satan, sin that enslaves us. And death that comes as a result of that. And Jesus triumphs over Satan's sin and death in unexpected ways. And we all get to be the beneficiaries of what he's done in our place and for us. The whole picture of David and Goliath points to what Tim Keller calls a great and better David. Jesus Christ. He's our warrior. He's the one in whom we have full confidence and faith again this morning. And as we come to share in communion this morning, I want us to
reflect and to pray. Whenever we gather like this, there'll be people in different places and you need a, a, a re-energization of your faith. Some of you, your faith is flagging. You've lost a confidence, a confidence in the one who delivers you from lions and bears. You're facing whatever it is at the moment and you need God to speak courage into you. Not in your ability. Not a, like, hey, no, you've got what it takes to wash words over you again this morning that you don't have what it takes. You're the knees knocking back in the tent. I'm not going near that giant. That's you in this story and me. That's us. And out steps Jesus, our David. It says the Lord will deliver. And that's our story. If we believe in Jesus, the Lord will deliver you. The Lord comes through for you in whatever you're facing. Whatever the weight is, whatever the confusion, the pressure, the difficulty that you're encountering now, or you will. It's the Lord who delivers us, and our confidence is in Him. Listen to this. This is very important. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is not in our faith. You, know, you need more faith. I need, I need to do some muscle faith building. No, you can't have faith in faith. That's not a thing. You need faith in Jesus. You need faith in God. You need faith in, in, in someone.